In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack save the world. Hello, listening friends. Uh, just a quick update. Kenyatta and I, um, well, we're taking some time off. It's summer. And we thought with everything going on in the world today with how they're wanting to teach um, black history in the state of Florida, and then also in the state of Oklahoma after the recent um, statements by the superintendent of public education about the Tulsa race massacre, we thought we would throw up a couple of our old episodes that highlight um, the his or uh, highlight some black history. And so um, we hope you enjoy um, having two episodes uh, this particular week. And um, yeah, I'm going to use the same intro on both of them. So thanks. Have a great day. So today we are talking about a man that really doesn't need an introduction, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. So... I won't necessarily go into a whole go into a whole lot about his background per se, because really anybody that's Jack and my age around that time, we learned about him in mm -hmm. school. Yes, the basics about how uh, he's a Baptist uh, preacher and eventually became the most iconic figurehead of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. In that he was assassinated in 1968 at the very yes. young age of 39 years old. So what most people know about him, of course, the civil rights leader, that he was a fantastic orator. Yes. And he had a way of, of not just putting together speeches, but the way he conveyed these messages to crowds was, was mesmerizing. It was moving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't take but like a couple minutes of a Google search and you can find many instances of any speeches that he's ever done. The most famous one being the I have a dream speech. Yes. That was done on the March on Washington back in August of 1963. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to touch on though, not necessarily the man himself, but how in years since his death, how, and especially in the most uh, last several years, especially how a lot of his quotes, and he's very quotable, and I don't, I don't mean to minimize him in any way, but he's, he's got a lot of quotes that even by themselves are, are moving. They're, mm -hmm. they're meant to be uh, inspirational, and they, which most of them are, but they've been mm -hmm. taken out of context and applied to so many situations and um, people that in his day, he would have never been siding with he would never approve of what these people try to twist his words to fit to right right so the the first thing i wanted to touch on is the fact that the way a lot of us learned about him in school which again of course i did as many of us did but later on um 
early in early in school in grade school, we were taught that he was supposedly a pacifist and he was interested in bringing everybody in this country together, uh, loving each other as equally as brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Not quite. Or his time um, at the time that he was at his height in doing most of his work during the 1950s and 60s, he was considered a radical by yes. many white yes. and black. He was not a rule follower. He was a lawbreaker, but he encouraged lawbreaking in a nonviolent way. He meant to cause what they call unrest, uh, what, we, what we would probably equate to something like disruption today. And a lot of um, images that we've been seeing in the last year and a half, on close to two years um, of people protesting in the streets, on the highways, blocking traffic. Those were the same kind of tactics Dr. King would encourage mm-hmm. his people to use, blocking roadways, protesting, disrupting, taking up space, and, and breaking laws. And granted, the laws that weren't existed at the time, they may have been quote-unquote legal, but there was nothing moral about them. And right. they knew that. And that's the exact reason that they, they did what they did. So wasn't um, like part of it was that like he knew that if like the everyday person saw the vile and horrible treatment they were getting that and then like them enduring it, that it would change people's viewpoint of what's going on. Am I correct in that at all? you're close that wasn't it was his idea but it was a a thought process that was carried on by um those of that that were with him in their part of the movement and it's interesting because that kind of leads into one of his more um well-known protests Mm -hmm. the selma to montgomery march of 1965 Mm -hmm. and you see you see pictures of this all the time on the internet where yes. him and his wife and all of his his people are linked arm in arm, row after row after row, crossing through um, through Selma. I believe it's the William M. Pettus Bridge, mm-hmm. where they were met with police and batons and dogs mm-hmm. and fire hoses. So um, the very same day. That that iconic photo was taken. He was actually arrested not too long after that. He was arrested often. And he had received a letter from some fellow fellow clergymen, um, white clergymen in the area that were trying to tell him to tone it down because he was doing too much. And they felt like he was too extreme and radical. and He would invite violence. And they didn't think that what he was doing was the right way to go about it. It, was the right, it wasn't the right way to protest, mm-hmm. whatever that's supposed to mean. Right. So during that time, while he was in jail, he wrote what's now known as uh, letters from a Birmingham jail. He was answering back some of those concerns that those clergymen had about, you don't have to do it like this. You don't have to be so extreme. Let's just wait and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And a quote from his letters from a Birmingham jail uh, goes the following. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs, lynch your mothers and fathers at will, and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your Black brothers and sisters, 
then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. So I said every a lot of people had the impression that he was he was he was like I say he was a pacifist that he was was he was good with words but they felt like he was just preaching mm-hmm. uh, unification and rom- rainbows and butterflies no he needed action he wanted action and he knew where to go or who to talk to to have it done and it wasn't just obviously fellow blacks he was trying to move what he considered moderate whites mm-hmm. he felt like they were even a bigger threat than the racist whites because they were the ones that kept telling him to wait. Mm-hmm. Let's work within the law. Let's do it this way. And he's like, no, we can't do that. So for all these years later to, to uh, misportray him as a person, as that kind of person, it's not fair, especially mm-hmm. when you try to use his words and his actions out of context to try to shame people, let's say like the Black Lives Matters movement and say he wouldn't have done it this way. Yes, he would have. It's exactly the way he would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it really irritates me to have that man's words taken and twisted in a way to try to minimize and shame people that are out for the same kind of justice and equality that he was looking for all those years ago. And the fact that we're still talking about the same things 60 something years later, I mean, that should tell you something about the state of affairs in America anyway. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? I guess it starts about 10 days before Martin Luther King Day. And all of a sudden, everybody starts putting Martin Luther King quotes on their Facebook and posting it. And I always have two thoughts of that. One, in the 60s, you probably hated Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. And two, why don't you ever post anything the rest of the year? Hmm. It it's almost like, well, I posted before Martin Luther King Day. I've done my part. <laughs> and I don't know, that just always kind of irritates me. And, and it should, because this is this is a man whose whose speeches in quotable quotes, it's it's almost disrespectful to just trot him out once a year. Yeah. It's it's nonsense. And frankly, that's how should I put it? It's almost like it's like a kid's toy. You bring him out at an appropriate time of the year, and then the rest of the time, right. what he's talking about doesn't matter. It, it doesn't apply yeah. unless you can trot him out in January or during Black History Month or any time you need to use a quote to, you know, try to shame somebody into behaving better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Now, I'm going to admit to you, I have a love-hate relationship with Martin Luther King Day, but it doesn't have anything to do with him. Mm -hmm. My dad died on Martin Luther King Day, 2003. And so as that day comes up, because everybody's talking about Martin Luther King and his Mm -hmm. day, Mm -hmm. it really just makes me think of my dad. (laughs) You know, and it has nothing to do with Martin Luther King other than the buildup to the 20th <laughs> or, you know, it, my dad died on the 20th, but it was Martin Luther King day that year. Mm-hmm. So I associate it with Martin Luther King day. And so there's just all of this buildup and it's just like, 
but my dad died on that day. Mm-hmm. And it was completely unexpected when my dad died. We had no mm-hmm. clue anything. He just had a massive heart attack and died at 55. Ooh. So anyway, that's that's my love-hate relationship with Martin Luther King Day. It has nothing to do with the man. Oh no, I understand. <laughs> and it, it that's completely understandable. I can I can see where those those two those two events are inextricably twined up and that's nobody's fault. So completely yeah. <laughs> understandable. Completely. But. Mm. So in, when I was doing my research for this, putting this information mm-hmm. together and how Dr. King was being told during his time, what you're doing is not the right way to protest. Mm-hmm. And the correlation in my head popped up, of course. And then I ran over here and dug up this bit of information. Well, if doing protests and sit-ins and bus boycotts and strikes, if that's not the way to protest unfair treatment, and if folks told Colin Kaepernick that taking a knee during the national anthem was the wrong way to protest. That, when you start talking, that's immediately what I start thinking about. Mm-hmm. What's the right way? The national. It, exactly. And the thing of it is, and, and, and after I sat and thought about it for a minute, I'm like, there is no right way for people who don't want to understand the state of this union still. Yeah. yeah. So and, a lot and, of what, and, and just to go back to what you mentioned a little bit ago, yes, a lot of people disliked him and his methodology. Roughly two years before his death in 1968, about two thirds of the country didn't like him. Yeah. The FBI had been monitoring him for years. Mm-hmm. And after he gave his I Have a Dream speech on the March in Washington in 64, the FBI was uh, named him, quote, the most dangerous and effective Negro leader in the country. Wow. End quote. So it was a big deal. And, and, yeah. and, and as a matter of fact, anybody in the black community that was able to rise up and bring people together to influence some type of change was a threat. Right. So I'm thinking about not necessarily Dr. King, but also I'm sure you heard him Fred Hampton, Malcolm um, X, Malcolm X. And I don't like the fact that while they were both alive, many people try to pit Dr. King and Malcolm X against each other. Mm-hmm. They may have had different ideological ideological say the word for me (laughs) ideological (laughs) that thing (laughs) one of those days i'm sorry (laughs) they tried it as though they were completely opposite ends of the movement when they really they did have different ideas of how to how to approach it that is Mm -hmm. true but they weren't necessarily enemies Right. And granted, Malcolm X did say some things about Dr. King. But if anybody knows the story about Malcolm X, he had uh, an evolution of mindset once he left left the the nation of Islam. So these men weren't enemies, but they tried to play them against each other because divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. So Keenan Ivory Wayans has forever ruined Malcolm X for me. Let me explain. <sighs> when In Living Color was a show, uh, you'll recall Spike Lee made the movie about Malcolm X. And on In Living Color, they did a skit where 
one of the Wayans brothers was playing Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. And it was tie-in products to the movie. Mm-hmm. So they had like, I can't believe it's not Malcolm X butter. And <laughs> my favorite was Malcolm X Lax. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and anytime I hear Malcolm X, the lax in my brain follows and <laughs> That is completely Keenan Ivory Wayne's fault. Oh my goodness. Uh, just 30 years I'm just later. Gonna, I'm going to put this plug in here. If you've never seen In Living Color, do yourself a favor, hunt it down, binge it. That was one of the most forward improv shows ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that show brought us Jim Carrey. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> and, um, Keenan Ivory's brother, uh, Damon. Damon. Yeah. It brought the whole Wayne's family, really. Yeah. And who's the one of that? Jennifer actor? Lopez. Yeah, thank you. Was a <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. Um, but yeah, he ruined Malcolm X for me. Yeah. They did a, they did another skit. Now that we've veered off, we might as well just keep going. They did another skit where they had Damon playing um, the leader of the nation of Islam doing a call-in advice line. It was the funniest. As a matter of fact, I think once we wrap here, I'm going to go ahead and find that. <laughs> and he's he's sitting at the a desk, taking the, the phone-in callers, and he addresses one of them. He says, hello, white wife. It was the way he said it, just, he used to do those sketches, just straight face. I howled. Yeah. And I, for every time I see it, I'm like, oh my gosh. And of course, it's, it's not me making light of Nation of Islam in any way right. whatsoever, but the Wayans were comedic geniuses. And that's just, that's facts. <laughs> yeah. And I used to love the Damon Wayne character with, that was in prison that used every word completely mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd be like, the daffodil that got me indicted. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Every, every week. After a new episode came, because I think it came on Sundays. It did. Every Monday morning on the way to school, we would talk about the show. And then it would usually be a boy would go off on one of those, you know, using all the $5 words the wrong way speeches. Right. Obfuscation of the demonstration of the ovulation. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. The thing everybody remembers is Fire Marshal Bill, Mm -hmm. Homie the Clown. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two gay movie critics. What was mm-hmm. it? I give it two snaps and a men on films. That's what it was yeah, called. Men, men on, on films. films. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's generally what gets remembered. But yeah. some of those other skits were way funnier. Oh yeah, it's it's it was nothing but classics. It really was. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't mean to add the topic and take it in a comedic route, but. I had to get that from my chest. <laughs> but and when you think about it, and I'm gonna draw this correlation and it it may not it may not gel, but just go with me. Mm-hmm. Disruption has a way of making people pay attention, really. And when you think yeah. about the stuff that the Waynes was doing back in the 90s with that show, some of it was borderline offensive, really. 
some of it wouldn't fly today. Oh, mm. men on film would <laughs> not, not at all, not ever. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing of it was is that even they they were in their own way willing to break some rules to make people pay attention. Yeah. Same way, I guess you know, some years later, Dave Chappelle did, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth when they did their shows. So I equate this to something like Dr. King in that anytime, whatever era that you're in, somebody's going to be doing something that is too extreme for what's, what the expectation is at that time. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what Dr. King was doing. He was too much for a lot of people. And a lot of that ties into what we call respectability politics, which was actually something that the term itself was quite, quite coined in 1993, but the idea has been the same for a long time mm-hmm. in that in order to be accepted by the majority of population of whatever country you're in, you need to start acting like them. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, it was, you need to dress like them. You need to talk like them. You need to have these kinds of manners. You need to have this kind of education. Yet in other words, for, as far as this country was concerned, what blacks are being told, you need to act like white people in order for them to accept you. Mm-hmm. That only got you so far. And it was also black people telling other black people right. to do this, you know. Yeah. And that's Sometimes why you- black people are the worst critics of other black people. I've noticed. I'm, I hate to say it. Yeah, I, I do. And I don't I, I don't know. I imagine there's a variety of reasons. And I'm sure there are people much smarter than me. They have written books and thesis about this very thing. But a lot of it, I think it's just, it's been indoctrinated mm-hmm. into us from way back being uh, dehumanized and minimized and disrespected. It just, sometimes mm-hmm. I think that's just unconsciously passed down, passed down. And I hate to see it. Yeah. I hate to see it. So that, that unfortunately is true, but for, and then, like I said, in this case, in this instance, a lot of the people that were doing the criticizing of Dr. King were black people. And they were telling you, you need to calm it down because you're making mm-hmm. the rest of us look bad. You're going to make the rest of us have that much harder of a, of a way to fit in if you keep doing what you're doing. And the thing was, the way he organized his protests and the things he did to draw attention, these inequalities, his people weren't violent. It was the police. It was oh, other yeah. white people that were counter protesting. But he's getting told you're making it hard. You're, you're causing violence. No. The other people were right. Yeah. So to have what he was trying to do all those years be thought of unfavorably. And then we get all, you know, these decades down the road and all of a sudden he's this magical, mythical being that everybody loved. That's not the case. And I wish people would stop acting like it was not that he wasn't due that respect because by all means he was, but don't act like, don't act like you would have been one of the people had you lived in that time that you would have been one of the people that supported what he did. Most likely you might not have been. <laughs> I agree a hundred percent. It ties into what I was saying earlier. Mm-hmm. See people around this time and they start posting about them. And it's like, you would not have been a fan of his Mm-mm. back then. Just, Mm-mm. just saying. What and- used to get me is that, People used to love to take the, I have a dream for my children. We'll live in a nation, whether it be judged by the color of their skin, but by the contact of their character. People love to take that one and, and twist it. it. Yes. Yeah. This is why there shouldn't be affirmative action. 
this is why there's reverse racism, which, by the way, is not a thing. What he was saying was, yes, he wants to see a country where his children aren't judged just by the color of their skin. Right. That they wouldn't be persecuted and dehumanized because of it. That's where he was going with that. But if you leave out the rest of the speech Mm -hmm. and take that one line, oh, yeah, you can do whatever you want to with it. I'm like, no, don't do that. Don't make it look like he was unaware of what was mm-hmm. happening or that the people that he was talking to were unaware. He knew exactly mm-hmm. what was going on. He knew yeah. exactly what he wanted to do and what he, he wished other people would do not sit, um, you know, around a campfire and seeing Kumbaya people need to get up and take action. That's what he was telling them to do. Yeah. But of course it always get taken out of context saying you shouldn't judge people by their color. And that, this is why people need to be colorblind. no, and we talked about this the other episode, not mm-hmm. colorblind, but color aware and color mm-hmm. conscience. Yeah. It's like I always said, assholes come in all shapes, sizes, colors, religions, mm-hmm. sexual orientations. Mm-hmm. Get to know a person. Yeah. And then decide if they're worth your time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's a couple of things I found Real interesting that um, apparently I, I didn't notice when they first came out or I blanked them out because who they, they were attributed to. But former Vice President Mike Pence mm-hmm. made a quote back in 2019, just right around this time of the year, mm-hmm. um, where he says, quote, one of my favorite quotes from Dr. King was, now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. You think of how he changed America. He inspired us to change through the legislative process to become a more perfect union. No, that's not. No, Maybe <laughs> that's not what he was later. trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Now, now, all of a sudden, that's the way you interpreted what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> and then he he also made a quote. I can't remember the exact date, but apparently it was in reference to. 45 trying to build his border wall saying uh, you know dr king liked to build bridges not walls or some gibberish he totally messed the quote up mm-hmm. and he was trying to use dr king's words in defense of this border wall i'm like no <laughs> again no <laughs> that's sort of par for the course anymore it, i don't i don't even know how to phrase it but yeah <laughs> i don't know i'm yeah. It kind of blows the mind, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like every, and you're right, every year this stuff gets trotted out about the same time or when some some event or situation pops up that has to do with some kind of, you know, racial conflict and all of a sudden somebody starts trotting out the quotes. Yeah. I'm like, no, you're you're getting it wrong. Trust me he probably would have been a lot a lot more in favor of the kind of protesting that had been done than not. And granted, again, he was he was nonviolent. He wasn't a pacifist, but he did believe in nonviolent protests. Mm-hmm. But um, considering what we know now, especially in the protests that have been happening in the last two years, you know, a lot of that violence was not caused by the protesters. You know, people were being brought in to stage these things just to discredit the movement. Mm-hmm. But as far as how those protests start out and how the vast majority of them ended up 
completely peaceful. He would have been mm-hmm. behind that 100%. Yeah. I yeah. think so. I tend to agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, <laughs> as a veteran, I never had an issue with uh, Colin Kaepernick kneeling mm-hmm. or other players in different sports because I felt that was the like the most respectful sort of way that you could do that. You know, they could have stood up and had their middle fingers out, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And the thing that people well, probably don't know because they haven't looked into it. Uh, one of Kaepernick's teammates was an Iraq war veteran. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, Kaepernick, asked him, you know, what would be a good way to protest, but not, you know, do it in like a angry, jerky way. And um, it was this, this other teammate, and they sort of talked over and came up with that. Because the teammate was like, it's respectful, but it also is making a point. And it just threw everybody up in arms. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't I can't believe how easily and how quickly the false correlation was made between what he did in disrespect towards the military. Like, how did you how did you make that leap in logic? Where did that come from? Like I've, I've read people's explanation about the flag symbolizes America and the blah, 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 in defense of our nation. You're disrespecting them. No, I don't. Your it's line of logic, it doesn't, it doesn't go. The reason is because they're like, people died for our country and that flag. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. But yes, people died for their country. But I don't think when you're in a firefight or whatever, you're thinking, well, I got to, you know, do this for the flag. I mean, you have flags on your uniforms and whatnot. It, that's not why you're doing it. It's not for uh, the flag. You're doing it for, yes, your country, your family and your friends. But I think that's where it comes from. But I never had a problem with it. The most respectful way you could do that. I mean, I thought so too. And you would think by how some of these so-called NFL fans freaked out, you think part of their paycheck was going to his salary. Like he had literally come into their homes and pimp slapped him or something. They were that outraged. Like I'm burning his shoes. I'm burning the Jersey. I'm burning it all. I'm not gonna watch the nfl anymore oh yeah like that happened i know oh i know their ratings did not slip not not so much (laughs) and the whole um i'm gonna boycott nike yeah you're gonna go ahead and burn 120 dollar pair of shoes right okay (laughs) well i know somebody that is boycotting nike but the only shoes they wear is converse well nike owns converse (laughs) they're not too bright are they <laughs> yeah i just find that funny i'll never wear a nike okay oh my goodness. <laughs> i'm sure they'll miss your dollars i'm sure yeah. their bottom line is going to be hurting at the end of this fiscal year <laughs> yeah this chuck taylor's wearing yeah <laughs> oh i don't buy nike because i don't want to support the university of oregon oh but <laughs> 
What's wrong with them? I have not forgiven them for when they screwed OU in that uh, bowl game. It was really the rest, but I blame Oregon. And I can't forgive them for that. So what you have is something like a grudge. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, not for political reasons, a real reason. (laughs) Football. (laughs) Well, that's sort of like you know, setting couches and cars on fire during a protest. That's wrong. But setting couches and cars on fire because your team won. That's a real reason. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know where that started, but that's probably the most redneck thing ever. Uh, Yeah, I, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't imagine the origin of that. And that now that I think about it, something I probably will think about doing and then forget about so but (laughs) i hear what you're saying about as far as you know what the flag represents but to me you're saying the flag represents the military but the military does what protect its citizens which is us well i think represents all of the people's point of view that's not no i I know i know you're saying i know you're saying but yeah no it's it's everybody and it's like when you hear people that will say, um, well, we got to take our country back. Back from who? <laughs> the, the other people are Americans, too. Mm-hmm. They have a claim to the country, right? And I mean, just in general, not skin color or anything like that, because mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. talking about, like, us versus Democrats. Well, Democrats have a claim to the country as well, (laughs) right? So when we got to take the country back, take it back from whom? Your fellow Americans? Mm Mm-hmm. So, which is what you said a couple episodes ago. Uh, uh, You even sent me the quote, and it was, I get to complain about America because I love her and I'm a cis." Citizen, something like that. You'll correct me, I'm sure. Stop it, but I will. Um, <laughs> well, I I it. wanted to be cor- uh, correct in what I'm saying. I'd only paraphrase it, but yeah, I sent you the, the actual quote. I love America more than any other country in the world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. James Baldwin. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's a lovely quote. It and is, true. and it and it's apt. Yeah, and I I don't find it surprising not one bit that James Baldwin ended up in France eventually, because <laughs> he was mm-hmm. he was sick of it here basically. But that's another story. But yeah, right. it's it's the fact that folks like you and me, and I'm sure millions of others, we love this country. Yeah, and we and we can't imagine being anywhere else. But at the same time. If you would just keep co-signing the nonsense that some of the people in this country insist upon putting out there, you're not doing any of us any favors. Yeah. And I always find it weird. Well, maybe that's not the right word, but you'll see somebody on Saturday or Sunday cheering for that athlete on their team, running to score a touchdown, going crazy and jumping them down and giving the high fives. But then on Monday, if that person's like, 
what they did to George Floyd was wrong. And then all of a sudden they hate the person. Mm -hmm. But then Saturday, and that person breaks free, running for a touchdown again. There they are all jumping and down and cheering mm -hmm. again. It's like, do you not see the oddness in that? And what's funny is that that athlete had the courage of their convictions, but the person criticizing clearly does not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, I just find that weird that like, it's like a shutoff valve for your hose. You know, you turn the crank up. Oh, we're excited. Up oh, sports is over. Let's turn the valve off. Mm -hmm. Like all day. What was, I can't remember who said it some years ago. I think it was a sportscaster. I think she said it about LeBron James, shut up and dribble. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I don't think it was sportscaster. I, or a news anchor, a, somebody. I think it was a female politician. Was it? I think so. But crap like that gets said all the time. So mm -hmm. we're probably both right. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm saying they kind of blend into each other after a while. So mm -hmm. <laughs> they probably both said it in some mm -hmm. situation. Because I guarantee you, Marjorie Taylor Greene has probably said something similar. <laughs> But she's not saying it on Twitter anymore. No, she is not. <laughs> Thank God. That won't stop her. That I won't know. stop her. It's I so know. gross. Oh, goodness. But she's gone over to whatever that, I'm not even going to say the name. Even if I remember it, I wouldn't say it. Right. Whatever that other social media site is for all the clowns with the bells and whistles that Joe Rogan apparently is on, too. So. Yeah, mm. I, I think that's the one with zero moderation, has all the uh, pedophiles on it. Yeah, sounds like delightful company. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Kind of people like to spend Easter Sunday with. I'm sure. <laughs> Just so they can sit up here and argue that the Easter rabbit should be, has been, and should always be white. But anyway... I digress. Um, <laughs> hmm. That's funny because I was perf my uh, chocolate Easter bunnies to be dark chocolate. You see the, the irony in that? It's I, my favorite chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I do. And sometimes all you can do is throw your hands up there and laugh in frustration. Either it's either frustration or I really am going crazy and I'm not aware of it yet. <laughs> you're not going crazy. Everyone else might, but you're not. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, anyway. Still got time. If I'm aware of it, I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You still not got quite. time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's just the. The, hypocr the hypocrisy of it, the audacity of it, every single freaking year. Yep. We talk about him as though he's a great man and, you know, he had these great quotes and he was all about unity when it was, unity might have been his end goal, but he was by no means trying to get there in a peaceful manner. Yeah. He, he wasn't going to tiptoe around anything. He wasn't going to weigh. He wasn't going to negotiate or anything like that. Yeah, One of the pieces of advice I gave my children was generally speaking to get to where you want to go. If you're on a path, it's not a smooth path. Generally you have to walk through a lot of shit. And sometimes the shit gets waist deep 
But when you get to your destination, you can wash the shit off. It means more. And I think Martin Luther King understood that that road was deeper of shit than normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, he, he, and he didn't mind it. And he had more than a few people behind him that didn't mind it either. Mm-hmm. And for what it's worth, many of us, millions of us right now are grateful for it. Because yeah. the work he did helped pass the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. There was so much that he put his efforts brought about. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame to see it, you know, like I said, 60 some years later, still in dispute. Yep. There's still a question about it. So, yeah. like, my thing is, if, if, if there's no good way to protest, you're trying to tell people that they shouldn't, that what we should sit back and wait. Is yeah, that, that's it. That's, exactly. That's, that's, that's what I'm hearing. It's the same thing as before. Sit back and wait. You don't have to do it like this. You don't have to kneel. You don't have to block the roadways. You don't have to do this. You don't have to. I don't I can't imagine anybody doing like a sit in nowadays. That would be something. It wouldn't mean as much, though, because everybody would be on their phone. It's true. <laughs> that's that's disheartening. Now you put it that way. <laughs> I, I don't mean to ruin it, but if everybody's sitting there on their phone playing games and looking at social media, I think it loses some of the uh, gravity of the situation. Maybe. Is that the word I'm they, looking for? They used to have, when they were getting ready for these protests, they actually had like workshops and they would get together classes and things that they would demonstrate and teach you how to act at these sit-ins. Mm-hmm. And if the, the police tried to come and forcibly remove you, they taught you how to pretty much, you know, you know, go dead weight to make mm-hmm. it difficult for them to try to pull you out and, and put you in a police car. They mm-hmm. actually taught them how to do this. This was and, and not like everybody doesn't know us, but this was serious business. And they mm-hmm. did all this and stood firm in the face of some of the most revolting um, responses from so-called law enforcement, Mm -hmm. like sticking dogs on them. Are you serious? Yeah. And they're not even, they're not doing anything. They're taking up space and they're disrupting your day and they're making people uncomfortable. And that's about the extent and they're bringing attention to something, but it was, it was clearly too much. And you're going to come, they came at those people like that. Um, if you are listening and really want to take the deep dive into how a modern American police was formed and tactics and stuff like that, there's a podcast called Behind the Bastards. I've mentioned it before. He talks about the worst people in history, but he did a mini series. I think it's six or seven episodes called Behind the Police, and it's Starts in the 1800s, basically, with sort of how police started, and then it goes through uh, to about the 1960s, I believe. It's quite eye-opening, and I don't really want to mention it because I don't want to butcher sort of the facts that are in there, but it's definitely worth the two days it'll take to listen to it. I can't recommend enough. So mm-hmm. it's quite interesting. I have I won't listen to a few so far, but I'm I'm making a note. Yeah. Because I, I have a tendency to jump around. I'll listen to especially if it's a podcast that's been around for a while that has yeah. a lot of episodes. I'll listen to like three or four 
here. Yeah. And the next day I'll go listen to this. So I'm making a note to make sure I don't forget this one. So. Yeah. Put in your search mm-hmm. bar of whatever podcast abuse uh, behind the police and it should pull them up because <laughs> his podcast is like five years old and there's several hundred of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, Very interesting. But yeah. Um, I'm sure he goes in a lot more depth than I've read so far, but I've I've read some history of it. It's yeah. Oh, he definitely does. Mm. Anyway, this um, country. (laughs) Once again, we have reached our hour plus (laughs) uh, recording time, as we tend to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Programming note: I know that we. We were going to talk about the John Birch Society, but we didn't realize until earlier this week that Martin Luther King Day was coming up, and we felt that it was worth doing before the holiday. So that's why we changed, and hopefully we'll have the John Birch Society soon. And that's about it. And then, like I mentioned earlier, February, we're going to talk about important people for Black History Month that you may not know about, which should be exciting, interesting. Learning history is always good. Yes. So, as usual, we end with our charities. Mine is the Service Dog Project. They provide service Great Danes for people with mobility and stability issues. Their website is servicedogproject.org and Kenyatta tell us yours please my charity of choice as we continue our mission to save the world Mm -hmm. is the black women's health imperative which uh, can be reached at bwhi.org and it is their mission to help improve the quality of health care for black women and girls across this country which is a great thing Mm mm-hmm and Absolutely. it's kind of funny. It just hit me. Both of us picked charities that help with people's health. And yeah. that was unintentional. <laughs> yeah. We might, I, it might be that we're at that age that we're starting to see that the, the stories that, you know, people were telling us 20 years ago are true. Yeah. That <laughs> could be. Maybe we've just become compassionate in our old age. I don't, don't tell nobody. <laughs> well, Yeah. Forget, forget I said that. <laughs> I, I never said that. We're, we're not compassionate at all. <laughs> not one lick. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I learned a lot. Thank you for uh, the research you put in for today's episode. Uh, all you. valid points. I, mm-hmm. I agree with all of them. And a lot of it was thoughts that I already had, but it was Mm -hmm. nice to have some of the history uh, behind those thoughts. So I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for indulging me. Not at all. Your your name comes first in the title. (laughs) I know. That's why they, oh no, they don't pay me the big bucks. Never mind. (laughs) That's right. We're doing this for free. Actually, for me, it's a, a net loss. At the moment, <laughs> so we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Yes, for sure. So, well, I guess we can go ahead and sign off and 
Thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, if you have something you'd like for us to talk about, go to our Facebook page, Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. Uh, shoot us a message, leave a comment, like the page. Instagram, sorry, I couldn't think of the name of that. It's oh. go ahead, Kenyatta, and name that one. You'll find us, yes, at Instagram at K A Y A N D J A Y S T W K N J Save the World. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So uh, we'll catch on the next one, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us again. We appreciate your your indulging us. And um, as always, we wish the best for you. We wish you, as we are not, softer, gentler, kinder days. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. <laughs>